up, dog? What's up, blood? How you doing? Doing good, man. I'm doing good. It's good to see your smiling face. What's up? Just happy to be here with you, brother. Happy for another lifts and riffs schedule to be loaded again, man. Let's it did, dude. We, do we, we burned up our surplus, and now it's time to start stacking these motherfuckers. And we got a fun one today, dude. This is sort of, this is outside of our usual zone today. I know, man. What? Let the people know. Who are we talking to? Today, we are joined not by a death metal musician, but by the man behind one of the biggest names in death metal and heavy metal merch right now, Night Shift Merch, a gentleman by the name of Kareem Peter. Oh, shit. That's going to be it's going to be really cool to pick his brain a little bit. It is, man. I know the only the way that I'm familiar with Kareem is from old Black Dahlia Murder DVDs because he used to be their manager. Um, oh shit! I didn't know that. Yeah, before he went out, and he I think he worked for Indie Merch for a while, and then a couple of years ago, I guess it's been a couple of years. I don't know. We'll get the full story from him. Uh, struck out on his own, established Night Shift, uh, got some great clients right off the bat. Black Dahlia Murder went exclusively with them right off the bat, I believe. Uh, Napalm Death, I think, was one of their earlier clients. Um, and since then, like, you know, if you go to the Night Shift website now, like, they've got a shitload of, of merch and everything, but they got a kick ass distro too. They got vinyl, they got CDs, they got all kinds yeah. of shit. Yeah, it's dope. I checked it out before this, and I think that you just got this dude on the podcast because you're trying to get that uh, cradle of filth pre order package. For, for I'm trying. I'm working on it, and maybe, maybe we can figure out a way. We don't have to tell him this, right? But uh, this whole thing is a ruse to see if maybe Kareem can get a hold of Danny Filth for us and get him on the podcast. I think it's a wrap, dude. Danny Filth, what's what's the deal? Why is it so hard to get to you, man? I've been trying back channels. I've been. I emailed your management company. I emailed your label, and like, not. I haven't even gotten a high ho. Go fuck yourself. I've just got nothing. It's like screaming into the void. Danny Filth, please, man. Please, Danny Filth, dude. Storm clouds are breaking. Ashen fatigue. I'm trying to seek refuge in your cemetery. Hey, well, if any time is the time is now because he's going to be promoting a new album. So I normally I know we don't normally like to get them in that process, but I think we can make the exception for Mr. Filth. Absolutely. I'd, I'd be stoked to talk to him under any circumstance whatsoever. And, you know, the dude's been doing this shit for so long that it'll be fun regardless. But today's not about Danny Filth. Today is about Kareem. Do you have a Friday the 13th Part 8 mask behind you right now? Uh, yeah, I do. I have one. Uh, it's it's hanging from my CD tower. And if you can see, I see uh, leaning, leaning next to my uh, my speaker there is the machete. I don't know if oh, hell yeah. Or not. Your setup looks great, man. Thank you. I'm feeling comfortable. I'm feeling like I've got my own little private sanctuary in here. You do. And let's see how Kareem feels about your private sanctuary. I got, I got something else I want to show Kareem, too. Let's do this. Let's see, see what he thinks about it. Kareem Peter is connecting to audio. That's what we like to see. That's what we like to hear. Maybe we'll be able to see Kareem's smiling face today. Perhaps we will not. I hope so. If not, you have to wear the Jason mask the whole time. You already in Florida, right? Is Florida is Florida getting fucked by a hurricane right now, or is that 
It's moved. It's moved north, hasn't it? I think. It's moving up. We're getting some pretty heavy rain. I'd imagine you are too. Not right now. Um, really? There's some, my wife said there's some in the forecast, but no, no, man. I went out did a did my my did 10.7 miles outside today. It's overcast. Shit. It's overcast, but it's not rainy. There's a nice little breeze, but it's definitely fucking gooey out there, man. Oh man, what you listen to on your run today? Yeah, I was listening to Broderquin because they dropped a new two-song promo. So I was listening to that, and then I was listening to – I went back and listened to a lot of their old shit. Um, and, dude, I've been on a huge fucking Vader kick lately. Yeah. Um, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Very – okay, so we see – now I can – Oh, shit. Hello? I see Kareem's ceiling. Hey, sorry. I uh, want to go take a piss. <laughs> yeah, there he is. There he is. What's going, What's going on, man? Not too much. Were you guys recording already while I was pissing? <laughs> Fuck yeah, we were recording. We could hear it and everything. Awesome. Great. <laughs> no, no. We, could, we, 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 we always shoot the shit for a little bit before we get our guest on. But anyway, man, I'm Schuler. Um, I'm cool. the one who's been bugging you on the internet. Yeah. I see you I'm in your just, glasses all the time on there. Yeah, it's my fucking, my stupid glasses that have inadvertently become something that's going to have to be chiseled on my fucking tombstone, apparently. Um, hey man, and then I'm joined today, today with me is my homeboy, Zach, from Death Comes Lifting, and we are super stoked to have you here, man. What's up, brother? Awesome. Oh, now I see you. I figured out a way to make it where I see everyone at once. It's, hey. it's, some of us have had to master Zoom. Some of us have not had to fuck with it so much, but it is what it is. Yeah, dude. Dude, when all this shit started, um, there was someone we were dealing with. I can't remember who it was, but they're like, they had an, a question for someone here, and they're like, yeah, can you find out from Alex this? And I was like, yeah, one second. And I just like yelled, I'm like, yo, Alex, you get this yet? And they're like, what do you use to interact with your team? I was like, the door. Like, what do you mean? You're not on Zoom or anything? I was like, no, I opened the fucking door and asked him. Like, he's not out there. You're right over there. <laughs> Yeah, from like, one room to the next yeah they're like oh no all our team does zoom and google meet and all this stuff i'm like oh yeah it's just crazy thing of that he's 15 feet from me uh, so you uh, if they're close enough to throw something at them then that's that's where you want to be man that's the prime yeah 10 years I, i'm i'm done with it i wore i wore a shirt just for you today man i thought that maybe you'd appreciate it it's this oh, is that's a, awesome this is a 10-year-old all-style shirt. Uh, oh, it's super comfortable. Fits like a fucking dream. Um, and I, I, I got to tell you, I, they don't make them like they used to. I miss all-style, man. Do you? What's well, it's a, it's a floor shirt, so that's why they don't make it like they used to, man. I yeah. used to see them so much. <laughs> oh, man, I, I loved floor. Um, this came with the, uh, when they put out that box set like a career mm -hmm. retrospective thing came out yep. in like 2011 or 2012 this is a shirt that came with that but i saw them when they did the shows for that again i hadn't i mean i guess hadn't seen them in years but i mean they're from here so they used to play here all the time yeah. Yeah. It's like that and um uh what is the other band they had dove was like the other sick band yeah. that they had it was henry the drummer's band mm -hmm. yeah we were talking to uh mick from um wharf lurch the other day he also oh, cool. yeah, yeah i listened to that one that was my uh, my prep because I didn't know. I saw that it was called lifts and riffs, and I was worried if I was gonna have to talk about getting shredded or something. Well, that is, man. That's what we were just about to ask you about your fucking like. What's your routine, man? How do you stay forever young? Uh, I do. I did Muay Thai for like. So I've been doing that for like ten years. I do jujitsu now. I run a lot. 
six year Muay Thai for, uh, after I quit touring, I think I fought amateur for like four years. And then, uh, you know, we had kids and then I had to stop. My wife like is convinced that I've, a, I, I probably do have like CTE cause I'm like always forgetting what I'm saying, but she's convinced that I'm like gonna have full on brain damage. <laughs> the, the, you know, it's probably a good idea to take a break then. I, I you know. Yeah. <laughs> So what's um let's let's go ahead and like dive into the history here, man. Like I was telling Zach before we got you on, you know, I, I am aware of Night Shift. I've made purchases from Night Shift. I remember when you launched Night Shift. Um, but the way that I am familiar with you is from Black Dahlia Murder DVDs. So oh, cool. you have a you have like a, a history in the in the business that goes back across a number of different kind of roles. So Tell us a little bit about yeah. you know, how you got into heavy music and how you got into the 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 backside of it, as it were. Um, so like just getting into music is just uh, when I was like first getting into music when I was a little kid, I was only into like rap and shit. I was just into you know just whatever like House of Pain and Vanilla Ice and all that. Then um, I was had these two brothers that I was friends with. And they're like, dude, you got to listen to this Nevermind cassette. You got to listen to it. And uh, I was like, no, nah, like, I'll never listen to rock stuff. And I remember they played it for me and I had to be like, no, nah, this sucks. And then they left the room and I was like in there listening to the cassette after they left the room, like secretly, like, I can't let them know that this is like so sick. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> I got kind of lucky that, you know, like that happened. And then my friend's brother went to jail. And when my friend's brother went to jail, he uh, traded me like all of his brother's cassette tapes. So I got like, you know, Danzig one and two, uh, yeah. Misfits, uh, Legacy of Brutality, um, Ministry, Land of Rape and Honey. What else was oh, in that shit. first stack? But I got a bunch of like, I just got lucky that this dude just happened to go to jail because I don't have an old, I've got an older brother, but he's like 25 years older than me. I got like no relationship with him whatsoever. Um, so I got kind of lucky that I got older brothered in by uh, this dude going to jail and getting like all of his punk and metal tapes. And then Silver I was just, lighting. Did he, did yeah. he get out? Did he get out and run you down? Where's my shit? Uh, dude, I was actually talking about this with someone the other day is that, so he gave me all his tapes, like as if this kid was going to jail for life or something like, but he wasn't just going to juvenile hall for eight months and was going to come out and like beat his ass for getting rid of all of his stuff eight months later. <laughs> so I don't know what happened with that, but I'm sure that it's like, older brother came home and just beat the shit out of them. <laughs> <laughs> I would be pissed. I would be fucking, yeah. I would be ruined if I, uh, if I got locked up. Well, actually, uh, you know, I couldn't blame my wife right now if she hawked all my shit if I got locked up because that'd be a fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but, I, got, uh, I got lucky that I got in all that stuff and then I did my first, first punk zine. I was in like uh, eighth grade, probably. I did like my first punk zine and I dropped it off. A record store just opened in town. I dropped them off. I was like, 13 or 14 years old probably i was probably 13 when i dropped them off and then uh youngest you can work in florida is 14 and literally like probably the day i turned 14 they told me that i could come work at the record store because i was just there all the time like hanging out so i worked there all through high school um and the dude who owned that record store sold the store and he ended up working out at century media records um so i went out to california to go visit him and like so it was like Steve Joe that's at Prosthetic now. I was working at Century then. So like I met like a lot of people that I still work with from going out there when I was like a teenager, which is like funny because I always got to tell Steve Joe that like he'd never remember his where he met me. And I'm like, dude, I was a 17 year old kid that flew out to Century Media and just hung out at your guys' office for a couple of weeks for no reason. And then 
wanted to go to a King Diamond show with you. So I had to like lay in the back of your pickup truck with no topper on like the five going from LA to San Diego to go see King Diamond because it was the only way I could go there. <laughs> Tell King Diamond about that if you get a chance. I'm sure. He oh, dude, I have. I worked with him for years. For King. Yeah. So, yeah, King was all dude, the craziest. I mean, not to go like totally off topic, but I had uh, my first kid right around the same time that King Diamond had his first kid. And so uh, we were like working together a lot then. And uh, his kid was born like right before mine. And so he was like giving me all the advice. And I'm just like, this is the funniest thing in the world that at no point in my life did I think that King Diamond would be like, oh yeah, when they're sleeping, if you don't want to wake them up, like check the foot for this. I'm like, do this shit. King so it was like kind of wild. Turns out King Diamond is a great dad. These are the things oh, that you dude. don't necessarily know about your heroes. He was so... Um, like, I mean, I don't think it's, like, giving anything away because I think everyone knows that, like, he's, like, a scary dude on stage, but, like, super yeah. nice dude. But, yeah, he was, like, so stoked to be a dad. And, like, he bought, like, you know, if you, like, see the stuff where it's just, like, oh, man, who buys all this crazy stuff? Like, the app monitor and this. And they bought the, like, Instagram thing because they're, like, yeah, we wanted to make sure we could hear if we got, like, freaked out. We could put it on my wife's stomach, hear the heartbeat anytime, all this so he's like you got to get this one this is the good one on uh, amazon it's only like 80 bucks but it works i just i can see like king diamond in the fucking delivery room in full makeup like in full get up to like welcome his child into his world that would be fucking uh, dope that would be the chosen dude, I, one dude i believe it'll be like that when my wife met him we went out there and um i think it was like he had like switched like a contract because i was working with him as like a subcontract thing to work in directly with him for a little bit and he was like in all of his get up and he's just like oh you know it's good to finally meet you in person because we've talked on the phone and email so much and you know we'll be working together for a very long time and like the <laughs> king diamond voice and we leave there and my wife's like i think like you just sold your soul to a vampire or something she's like sounds like a real dude <laughs> she was like all freaked out she's like that's the guy you've been talking about baby <laughs> Like, yeah, Once you enter right. into King Diamond service, man, you're there for life. It's a fucking commitment. Yeah. But um, so, yeah, continue. Yeah. Tell it. So you're 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 hanging out at fucking Century Media as a 17 year old kid making connections. Yeah, I did all that stuff. I had like a just like you know, a garage record label with my uh, with my buddy where we only put out like a couple things. We put out like our friends demo and a split seven inch and a comp. And we had a distro. So we used to go set up at hardcore shows and set up the distro. Um, and then, you know, we like, we lived in an apartment that was dirt cheap. You know, we spent like 250 bucks on our apartment. So if we could go set up at shows and make like 150 bucks a show at four shows a month, we could pay our rent. Um, so we did that. And then uh, there was this band Cream Abdul the Bar from Florida that their guitar player ended up booking a bunch of bands. This dude, Dan Rosenblum, who like still books a bunch of bands now. Um, he was booking this band Dead to Fall that was on Victory. They needed a place to stay. Oh, yeah, man. And um, so they came and stayed at my place. And then, uh, you know, we were like pretty centrally located. So they ended up coming back every night. I ended up rolling with them to all the Florida shows to set up the distro. And their merch guy couldn't get into Canada. So they're like, yeah, you just want to go with us to go to Canada? you know since our guy can't get in i was like yeah you know i got the distro i'll do that i'll just drop all my shit and go do that um so i went up with them i think that that was like my first like tour with a band that wasn't just like my friend's band um and that was 2003 and we did a it was like dead to fall taken and curl up and die i think 
Um, but we went up to Canada in the Northeast and I think we did Hellfest. And then I was only supposed to go to Canada with them. And then they're kind of just like, oh, well, you're like cooler than the guy we have with us. So you want to just stay with us? So I went out to California with them. We did like a run uh, with, I think, Kenai in California. And uh, yeah, I just stuck with them for a couple of years. I ended up touring with Martyr AD after that because he's just like meet fans on tour. I went to Europe with Dead to Fall and Martyr AD and met the Haunted dudes. Um, and the Haunted was coming over for OzFest. So I went with them for OzFest. And that's where I met the Black Dahlia guys. So I toured with the Haunted for probably um, a year after OzFest. I did pretty much like everything on the Revolver record with them. And then uh, I started touring with God Forbid. And I was like real good friends with the Black Dahlia guys. And they called me up to tour manage them a couple times. And it didn't really work out for whatever reason. Um, and then finally on Sounds of the Underground, had lined up and I went and tour managed them for that. And then, you know, I kind of like, I was supposed to go out on tour with 1349 and some other stuff. And I just canceled everything I had and was just like, uh, these are like my dudes. So I'm <laughs> staying with them. I stayed with them for years and, you know, would like go out and do other stuff. I toured with like Lacuna Coil, Napalm Death, uh, Cannibal Corpse, um, a bunch of, bunch of bands um, in the meantime. But Black Dahlia was like my main thing. And then, uh, I toured full time for like seven or eight years, something like that. And then got an offer to go work at this company, Indie Merch. So I worked there for like 10 years. And then after 10 years of doing it, um, it was just kind of at the point where it's like, I had, I had done so much that it didn't make sense to keep working for someone else for that long to just go do my own thing. So I started, I wasn't even like planning on doing this specifically. I was going to do something with merch where I was going to be um, like kind of like more art directing stuff for people because all Black Dahlia Murders merch since 2006 or seven, you know, I've me and Trevor have art directed every single thing that they've done. Um, so we were going to start offering that as a service. Uh, but when I called Black Dahlia telling I was leaving, they're just like, well, you know, you're still doing our merch. So I ended up being like, oh, well, I'll just start doing my own thing because I was running their fan club stuff for them on the side. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, when I called Napalm Death, it was kind of the same thing where Barney was just like, oh, well, mate, whatever you're doing, we're doing. So I did that. And then, you know, two years later, here we are. <laughs> here we are. Yeah. And let's so uh, we'll get into we'll get into the merch game. We'll get into Night Shift here in a minute. Um, I, I am curious about the tour manager life. So like you are you're the first person that we've gotten on this show, I think. Zach, am I right? Who, who isn't like specifically a musician in a band right and so you're a lot more familiar with the logistics angle with the business angle um and i think that the people who listen to this podcast are probably curious about some of the stuff that goes on behind the scenes i know that i am what what's it like describe tour managing for us like what does that entail uh i mean it depends with the band some bands it's like you're just straight up babysitting and some bands are pretty self-sufficient and you're just you know you're their cpa on the road or whatever where you're just doing the accounting, booking the hotels, making sure that the flights are on lined up, all that sort of stuff. Um, Black Dahlia Murder was like great to work with because it was working with your friends and they're, I mean, like the reason that they've made it on tour this long is because they're just kind of pros at touring. They're so self-sufficient. Yeah. Like you can put them in a van right now with no crew and they can figure out like, this is what we got to do. All of our shit set up, you know, so they can, they can run themselves. Um, so it was very just like, 
do the accounting, basically print out a sheet of says like, Hey, here's all your interviews today. Here's what time everything's happening. Like, you know, cause you got to get a hold of the venue and say like, we're showing up at three. That's this time we're going to sound check at this time. All the other bands are going to sound check. Um, you know, you have to let the venue know what your schedule is for the tour. Cause once you make a schedule for the tour, it's pretty easy. You basically for that schedule of like, here's our nightly schedule. You know, this is what our eight hours in your building is going to look like. Let us know where you need to make adjustments. You make all the little adjustments, you know, and then you just put it in a tour book. You tell everyone every day. And then you just make sure everyone's paid. You know, you make sure the bands are paid. You make sure your bus driver's paid or your van driver, the crew, you make sure all the merch is getting paid, that all the money's being deposited in the bank. And, you know, you're the responsible one. So when shit goes wrong, it's down on you. <laughs> You're the dad. You're the CPA. Um, did you did you like the touring lifestyle? Was that something that you had a hard time letting go of? Um, I liked it, but after you know that long of doing it, you know, it's, you know, you're kind of in a uh, you're like it's like a very like a uh, blessed first word problems thing. Where it's like, I don't want to go back to Europe for a third time this year. Going to Europe is a pain <laughs> in the ass because my cell phone doesn't work, and like. Yeah. When you're complaining about stuff like that, you're just like, oh, okay, I don't like, I don't love being anymore because I'm complaining about stupid things right now. You know, there's like people that would love to go over there and have that opportunity. And you're just like, oh man, like, can I just go to Kentucky again? Because I know my cell phone works in Kentucky and, you know, I'll show up and it'll be our gear and it'll be this. And then you get to Kentucky and you're like, man, I'm in Kentucky. I hate Kentucky. And then he just realizes like, oh, it doesn't matter where I am. I'm going to complain about everywhere right now. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't, I don't think that I'd be cut out for it, man. Like, I'm definitely a creature of habit. I, I kind of like to have my familiar surroundings, and it just seems like it would be just one change after another, right? Like, the only constant is change. But at the same time, I'm sure that everything starts to bleed together after a certain amount of time, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, when we were on tour with Black Dollar Murder, it was uh, their drummer, Shannon. I used to keep, like, meticulous records of just everything. So I had like a spreadsheet of just like every show they'd ever done all that. And there was one day where I'm like, oh man, it's uh, Shannon's 500th show today with the band. And so we're just like, that's pretty like exciting. So we tell Shannon, he's like all pumped. And you go tell like, you know, Brian and Trevor who've been in the band since day one. There's like, oh, okay. It's been that long. <laughs> it's just like, oh, you don't seem too stoked on it. Brian's like, if he's at 500, that means that I'm at like 3000 right now. And now I want to like kill myself because I've done this 3000 times and didn't even realize it yet. <laughs> that's so a pretty like, amazing record though yeah, yeah i mean it's like the thing of the ramones you know their claim to fame was like oh the ramones toured so crazy they were a band for uh you know 20 years and in 20 years they did 2100 shows and then you like go look at a band like black dahlia murder or carnifex or just like any of those bands that's always out there and it's like oh they probably hit the ramones record in like a quarter of the in the quarter of the time that they were like took them to do all their shows they probably hit that because they're just on the tour all the time uh, i mean i feel like touring is definitely the 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 bread and butter i mean it's not i don't feel like that i know that like touring touring game and the merch game is like how bands stay afloat um since sort of the fall of the music industry right and it's it's the the tables have turned to where like now the live show is the justification for putting out a new record as opposed to vice versa to you know keep the, yeah. keep, the keep the show on the road um, so you bounce out of the touring lifestyle, go to work at indie merch. What'd they have you doing? Uh, I was working like, uh, just band rep from the start of it. And, uh, I went in 
because I'd never, you know, I hadn't worked like a home job in forever. You know, I've hadn't worked a home job since I've been delivering pizza when I was like a teenager. <laughs> and um, they had me be a rep for bands. Uh, and I showed up the first day thinking like, okay, I'm going to have like these bands that I work with. I'm like, here's an email address. Like, here's your Kareem at Night Shift Merch or at, uh, sorry, nmerch.com email address. Go find some bands. So, I mean, I spent months just cold calling like, I felt so shitty, man, just cold calling everyone I knew that was in a band of like, hey, what are you guys doing? Because I just started working at this company. And like, if I don't pick up some bands soon, I don't think I'm going to have a paycheck. <laughs> uh, but, you know, luckily, like Black Dahlia Murder is kind of like a merch monster. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people were into the designs and stuff that I'd set up for them. So I got um, a good amount of business from that. And just, I think that I always busted like i don't think i could have made it on tour that long if i wasn't busting ass so i had like a lot of good uh good faith from that so i ended up by the end of the first year having a good amount of bands that i dealt with of just you know i got all their tour merch in order got their online designs in order got their web store set up worked on their pre-orders stuff like that and then basically the same thing like step and repeat for 10 years so do you now do you do you said that you and Trevor collaborate on all of Black Dahlia Murders merch? Are you do you do like graphic design for other bands? Is that is that part of what you do with Night Shift or is that part of what you do individually or is it something else? So I used to do like I mean all the basic stuff I can do um, as far as like graphic design, but it'd be more of the art direction of the either I'll have an idea or the band will have an idea or like Black Dahlia Murder, you know, it's usually like before tour trevor and i get on the phone and we run through a list of just like here's every artist that we think is cool like because trevor's always got like a million mile long list of artists that he wants to work with because he's just like he sees like a death metal cover like gotta write this dude's name down gotta write this dude's name down and i'm kind of uh like where trevor knows like every death metal artist i kind of be like i just saw this cool thing here i found this guy here you know i was looking at these comic books and there's this new comic book artist that has this guy and so between that, we usually find like a pretty good mix of people to do shirts for them. Um, you know, we'll fall in the designs. Trevor usually is good about just like, he'll have an idea of just like, I want to do something based on this song. And I want to make sure that at least this element of the song is in it. Like, but you know, like there's this like, and uh, you know, there's this like goo that I talk about in the song and I need to make sure the goo is on the <laughs> shirt. Um, you need, you and then, need the goo. Yeah. <laughs> I've had multiple goo conversations. I've had a lot of goo conversations with Trevor. But, um, you know, then I got to figure out how that gets made into a design and talk to the artist about it. Because we still are, like, we can't just go to an artist and just be like, yo, man, do a dragon. Because we're yeah. going to get that artist dragon. It's still got to be true to Black Dahlia Murder or whatever band it is. So I usually have to, like, be like, it's Black Dahlia Murder. We got to make sure that it has, like, these elements that you know this is the sizing that it needs to be for a shirt it needs to be this sort of composition um and directing them through all that and all the edits and then you know also artists especially when we're finding new dudes like if you find a dude who does comic books they're used to just drawing on paper they're not used to having to translate that to a shirt so you kind of have to give them the specifications of you know it needs to work with this many colors we have to be in this sizing you can't put this in the middle of it because like it's just dumb stuff they don't think about because it's going on paper a guy doesn't think that you can't put like a circular monster on a stomach of a shirt because it's going to make you look like you have like a big beer gut so we have to just you know make the edits like that 
Well, I, that does get me kind of curious about that process. Uh, you know, we've had Trevor on the podcast and, and he and I shoot each other DMs on Twitter from time to time. He's definitely like a super invested dude in the shit that his band makes. Um, and obviously like a massive fan of other bands as well. So I can imagine collaborating with a dude like that being a pretty fun and probably easy experience. Do you have... You don't have to name names or anything, but do you have other clients that you work with who just like come to the table with nothing and you have to come up with everything or like, is there any sort of. Yeah. But, um, it's kind of good for me when they come with, an, I would rather someone come with nothing than to come with a bunch of stuff that I gotta be like, Whoa, like we don't yeah. want to do any of this. Like this is all bad ideas. Um, and luckily the, what, what makes for a bad idea? Uh, just someone like, if someone came to me now and is like, I want to do a side print shirt. And it's like, well, why do you want to do a side print shirt? And it's like, oh, in 2002, we had a side print shirt. And it was a number one selling shirt. And it's like, yeah, it was like 2002. It was a different time. Like everyone in the scene was like pretty skinny still, you know, like in a side print shirt <laughs> works when you're selling mainly smalls and mediums. Like now post COVID, like it was like medium was the big size and large was the big size. Now like XL is like, pretty much the main size. So I was like, you do a side print on an XL and you're just going to have like, you know, it's going to look stupid. You're going to have a seven inch tiger that doesn't even reach the front of someone's stomach because everyone's gone up to it at this point. So you've seen, and, uh, so you've seen like a, you, you've seen like a coordinated, uh, like across the board. Um, oh yeah. Swe swelling of the population during COVID. Everybody's moved up to an XL. Oh yeah. It's oh, kind yeah. of a bummer. I mean, man. dude, when I, I mean, two years ago, medium and large were our two main sizes now it's large and extra large they're for sure our two main sizes and like we uh printed a few shirts where we printed like you know mediums based on just the levels that they were before covid and i'm like sitting with like shelves of medium like it's kind of unbelievable that's that's it's weird you know th these are the things that you never really consider this is why i find conversations like this really interesting to see like sort of a a fucking correlation with what's going on in the world and like the sizes of t-shirts that are more popular and not just like fashion trends, but like the actual physical <laughs> growth for lack of a better word of, of people. Right. Yeah. I mean, we print three X now and it's like gone. And I mean, any three X's that we print for a band, if it's a band that sells are gone in the first day. And it's like, so we started working in more three X's and I don't know what the limit of three X's is going to be. Cause I'm like, it used to be like, we made three three X's because there was only three three X fans and then like six and then 12 and then 18 and then 24. And it's like, yeah. all right, man, we just did 43 X shirts and we still sold out. And I was like, I don't know what the limit of three X is now. And like, cause it used to be that that would be the size. Like you'd print a few of them and you'd be stuck with all of them. I mean, it also doesn't help that like, I don't know if he's still out here. Harry from body box was here a minute ago out in the uh, shop, but like, he's like a little dude. He's way smaller than me. I wore a large, so he should probably be in like a medium, maybe a large. And that dude will get like two X shirts from us just cause it's the style. Around look like you're wearing a fucking moo moo. Yeah, that's I mean, how I know I'm getting old, man. I wear a large cause it fits. And like, I, I guess, should I be wearing a two X? I don't know. All the, I mean, it's the big thing now that there's like hardcore kids that are into death metal now. That's like, you know, like maggot stomp kind of kicked that off for everyone. So like all the hardcore kids that are death metal kids now all wear are all in like XL, 2XL shirts when they should be in, be in medium or they would have been in medium and large shirts a couple of years ago. So like I, throws I, me off. 
I need mine. I need mine a little more form fitting because they got to be under a blazer. So that's yeah. that's the the way I've got to have it. Um, because I'm a fucking dork. So yeah, you got to show off your gym gains in the medium. Yeah, that's what you got to the medium. The medium is what they call it. So, so you, you're with indie merch. You're learning the ins and outs of the merch game. Sort of got all these contacts from when you were out road dogging it. Um, do that for like 10 years and then you start getting the idea to go out on your own. Um, we sort of got a little while ago what you, what you originally thought the idea of Night Shift would be, um, but when it actually became a thing, like how, so you got Black Dahlia Murder, you got yeah. uh, Napalm Death. Those are the two that I remember sort of right off the bat being part of the, the roster. Yeah, it was the, the two of them and uh, Pink Destroyer were the first three that we had yeah. right off the rip. Um, and then after that, because I kind of had to keep it a secret when I was leaving Indy, because um, I mean, luckily it happened like really quickly. I was driving one day. Um, it was like at the end of May. And I was just like, oh, man, I got to just do something else. And it was a thing where I was driving from Florida to North Carolina to go see my brother-in-law. And uh, we drive at night because we got two kids and I got to just make sure they sleep the whole time and not drive me crazy. And so I'm driving and so thinking by myself and by the time that we got to North Carolina, I was like, okay, I figured out what I'm doing. And then I had to like psych myself up to, for the drive back to tell my wife, I'm like, Hey, I think I'm going to quit my job and do this. Uh, Cause she's like, one. she works at like an aeronautical university and is like very like by the book of like, Oh, you're going to quit your job. I don't know about that. You got to figure out like, what are we going to do for money? What are we going to do for this? And um, kind of luckily, so I bought a house in 2006, like right before the market crashed and like lost my ass on it. Um, and that was like the house that we lived in at the time. And we just couldn't afford to sell it because the house had lost so much money. And it finally got back to the point where I could sell the house for what I bought it for in 2006. But because like we'd been renting it out, I, was, I had like a pretty good uh, bank where I could afford to quit my job and be fine for a year if like if it just totally didn't work out. Um, and so I, I did that. And the only bands that I told were like the bands that I really like trusted, trusted, which is Black Dolly Murder, Napalm Death. And then Pink Destroyer, I don't even know why I told them. I was just on the phone with them about something. And it was just like, Hey, if I like ever went and did something else with you guys be into doing it. And they're like, Oh yeah, totally. It's like, okay. I like, kind of felt good. Like, all right, I think I'll be okay doing this. Um, and then I don't remember exactly what bands pick up next. I think it may have been, uh, I went out to go see Napalm Death on a show where their tour met up with the Psychroptic tour. And I've known like the Psychroptic dudes forever, toured with them two or three times, tour managed them in Europe and uh, told them what I was doing. And they were like all on board for it. And then uh, Rob, the guitar player from Wake, I've known forever, like, because he's been friends with like the Black Dahlia guys before. I think I even knew them. He's like known them for a long time. Um, and he was, I think the first person who hit me up that I didn't contact being like, Hey man, we want to do what you guys are doing. And then, you know, just more bands from there started hitting us up. Like Chaney from Theos hit me up. Um, yeah, I can't even remember. I can't remember the exact order, but like a good amount of bands. And we started adding, uh, more on and didn't want to get, cause at the time I was still doing everything out of my house because I wasn't planning on doing like a full on thing. Um, and then Cradle of Filth's contract was up and we had a deal 
were, um, you know, they just needed a little help finagling, like how their contract was up and how their movement was going to be. So I helped them with that kind of just on the side, not even for a night shift thing, just as a favor. And uh, at the end, they're just like, well, since you helped us with all that and we need a new merch company, now do you want to do it? It's like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. And uh, then all of a sudden, like five pallets full of Cradle of Filth merch showed up at my house. Um, and I was like, well, this definitely isn't going to work doing this out of the garage and out of like the bedroom office anymore. <laughs> you know, it was like their merch was so much. So that's when I had to go get a storage unit and then start looking for a space. Luckily, a space like right by my place opened up and then uh during covid the neighbor in our space moved out and we took that over too which we took it over just not having anything to do with it but just knowing like the way things are going it seems like it's growing enough where we need the space so now we got like four thousand square feet of warehouse space that is pretty it's pretty jammed like if i could take another two thousand right now i would <laughs> That's, that seems like a fucking solid upward trajectory, man, especially picking up some of the, the names who have sort of jumped ship and joined you along the way or, or whose contracts ran out and joined you along the yeah. way. Cradle, cradle, yeah. cradle, cradle of Filth merch is like an institution. It's, it's, it's legendary, right? Oh, dude, it's crazy. I mean, there was a, this dude, Justin, that worked here, which like, unfortunately, he just like passed the other day. But oh, okay. um, at some point, we were like sitting here just like bullshit and talking and uh, you know, their Vestal masturbation shirt, the Jesus is a cunt shirt. Like we just always like, laugh about that shirt because every time we have to print it, uh, you got it framed up there. <laughs> yeah. But you don't have the backup. You're posing. Yeah, I know, man. I, I, I... Whenever we have to schedule that shirt to print, it's like a nightmare because it's just like, ah, oh, it's got to go to the shop to print like at these times like they can't print in front of certain people or they're gonna like lose their mind wait what um, that's a thing oh yeah, yeah dude people get offended by some stuff especially when i was at indie merch i got some funny stories about shit that got went to indie merch that it was a girl sucking a zombie's dick with a hammer to her head or something like that and they got sent over to someone without like an alert of like hey you're gonna open something pretty graphic and uh this girl i guess like you know, just lost it. I'm just like, whoa, what the fuck did you guys just send me? Like, I'm not working with this. Like, I quit. Like, like, I mean, granted, like, we owed her an apology for her getting that without, you know, no one expects to go in their email and that's what they're going to see. <laughs> that's just, um, that's, that's wild to me. I, I would think that like business, business is business, but I guess, you know, you think about uh, it, people bring their sensibilities in no matter what. Oh, yeah, you get turned down for a lot of stuff. Religious stuff is, like, tough. Even if you don't think it's a big deal. Um, Hot Topic used to not take anything that had anything, like, remotely satanic on it. I doubt that they have that anymore, but when they were, like, kind of blown up. And there's this one shirt we sent Hot Topic, and it had a, uh, like, a knight holding a sword on it. And because of the direction the knight was holding the sword, there was a cross on the hilt, but the cross was upside down. And it wasn't because it was an upside down cross. It's just a sword that has a cross on the hilt and because the sword's upside down the cross is upside down they made it get removed from the shirt because they didn't want to have like the backlash of putting something on the wall with an upside down cross it's like that, that, so, is, <laughs> that is wild man i mean like i i do you know the more i think about it the more i understand that like business is going to intersect with those things from time to time like planning yeah. on what the audience might think right um, but it's just, it's, it's kind of, I don't know. I don't know why that's crazy to me that like the other companies that you work with, you have to time the way that you send over designs and things like that. Yeah, so yeah. like getting these fucking cradle of filth shirts made is like, 
a fucking black op. Like that's that's. Oh yeah, it's still like I mean, like we need to reorder them now, and I'm already like stressing having to send it over because since touring's back, like the presses are pretty full, so there's like not the same sort of leeway of like the person being like, oh, I'll come in at the end of shift and knock these out so that I don't have to deal with hearing people talk about it. Um, you know, so like I'm kind of stressed and having to put the order in. I mean, it'll get done. It's not a big deal, but I just feel bad every time because it means that it's going to be like a pain in the ass for someone. Um, but uh, what I was talking about with that dude, Justin, he picked it up one day. He picked him up and he's just like, you know, man, I think since we've been working here, this is the only shirt that I've shipped one of these every single day. And we were like, look at it. And we're like, yeah, it's like pretty much. I mean, that shirt's however many years old, over 20 years old now. And yeah, every yeah. day someone still orders that shirt. I mean, that's just from us, not including however, like the wholesale ones, like, I mean, we send so many cradle of fill shirts to like Southeast Asia and stuff like that, you know? Um, so there's maybe in Thailand, someone is buying a cradle of filth. Jesus is a hunt shirt every single day, just in Thailand. I mean, it's definitely happening in the U S and Europe and probably other countries, which is insane to think about. Then that's like yeah. the institution part of it. Of like, I was uh, yeah. joking with uh, their manager, you know, about something. We we're just talking about like the same thing about cradle merch being an institution. I was like, you know, I'm like, the day Danny dies, he's going to be on his deathbed, you know, 40 years from now, whatever, in the hospital with his family there. And like, right before he dies, his is going to walk in and be like, Danny, you sold another Vestal Masturbation shirt, like right before he <laughs> flat lines. <laughs> that, yeah, we, we, uh, we're big cradle. Well, maybe it's me. Maybe I should say me. I am a huge Cradle of Phil fan. And like, I, I got into them when I was in high school and Cruelty and the Beast was their newest record yeah. at that time. And yep. like, I still, I still remember like hearing rumors of that shirt and like seeing it in like mail order, you know, back when you still got those fucking inserts in CDs and yep. just being like, this is fucking good. This is, this is the be all end all. This is terrifying. So, Dude, I worked in the record store when that came out in high school. And for like every, every metal goth, whatever freak kid, you know, that was like the record. I mean, if someone had a cradle of Phil shirt, you just knew that they were into whatever was, I mean, at that time, like if anyone had any punk or metal shirt, you knew that they were like into what you were into because it wasn't as easily accessible. But if they had the cradle of Phil shirt, you're like, Oh, okay. Well, you're on like shit. the next level, you know, you know, you're not just into like, Pennywise bro him like you like <laughs> know some wild shit <laughs> so so tell us a little bit about you know you start night shift night shift's been around for a couple of years now what was the transition into COVID world like for you like personally and and, and professionally like what's what's changed for you over the last year and change dude so right when or I guess so when COVID was getting ready to start happening we do like a good amount of stuff in China and um, so we're like kind of keeping an eye on there and from talking to reps over there, you know, uh, people are just like, hey, you know, shit's going to be shut down for a little while. There's this disease going around over here. And we didn't like really think anything of it. We're just like, oh, OK, it's like something in China that they have to worry about right now. And then uh, it started looking like it was going to get out past there. That it was like something that we were going to have to worry about. And we had uh, Cradle of Filth, Ginger, Maple, and Black Dolly Murder all scheduled to go out on tour. Um, and I started getting paranoid, like pretty early on. And I was like, we got to like put in the tour orders at the very last minute. We got to cut the numbers on everything. Um, you know, because the company wasn't even a year old then. I was like, if this happens where like touring gets shut down or something happens with these tours, like, you know, we're done for, there's like no coming back from it. And, uh, 
I was like telling people and people were like, ah, I don't know, man. I think you're like overreacting a little bit. And everyone's just like, and even if it gets shut down, we're going to be back on tour in like two weeks. And I was like, ah, I don't know, man. I was like, <laughs> the reps that we deal with in China, they've been shut down for like four months now. It was like, so I was like, you know, the UFS infrastructure isn't, you know, it's not like it's like so much better than the Chinese one. I know that like a lot of people like want to have that thing of like, oh, the US has shit figured out so much better than China. It's the third world, but it's like, it's a normal country. It's like normal people. It's not like they're like living in like, you know, people yeah. think that they're like in a hut next to a rice paddy or some stupid shit like well, that. I mean, and I, I think that we've learned over the last year and a half that we don't fucking have anything figured out. Like, yeah, we have exactly. No, we have no fucking infrastructure. Exactly, dude. And it's like, so luckily we cut everything back and uh i mean we still had a lot of merchandise on the floor i think we had fifty thousand dollars worth of tour merchandise like sitting on the floor which um i was stressing pretty bad because i was just like if we can't figure out a way to sell this stuff like we're done and uh there was me and this girl kim that were working here doing everything at that point and uh we had brought in this dude johnny i think right around then and we had the new Black Dahlia Murder album that was on pre-order that was like already at the level of pre-order it was at. It was Metal Blade's highest selling pre-order they'd ever had. We had like thousands of records pre-ordered at that point. I think at that point we had like 4,000 albums pre-ordered to go out that we had to ship. And they were all sitting on the floor here already. And, uh, you know, I think New York and California shut down and then Ohio shut down. And uh, we started getting paranoid. So we had to call up um, metal blade we're like dude we have to be able to ship this record early because if they shut down florida we're not going to be able to get this out to people and metal blade's like you know it's going to like breach our contract with uh our distributors and stuff like that if it ships early we're like yeah but this is like you know extenuating circumstances like we don't even know if the postal service is going to pick our stuff up because no one knows what's happening right now um and luckily they were kind of like well you know do what you have to do but don't tell us about it and we're gonna like you know, just that plausible deniability sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So we started shipping the record probably two weeks earlier than we were supposed to, which doesn't seem like a big deal like at the end of the day, but you know, for distributors and contracts, it is like a big deal, especially when they've like worked so hard to make sure that shit doesn't leak in the first place. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so we had, uh, I think eight people in here I'm shipping and we we're trying to be like pretty safe about it. You know, it was just like, making sure that people were from the same household or were like roommates so that we didn't have too many people in here. Cause we didn't know that like, you know, if someone gets COVID, that means like all of us die automatically. So we're trying to be safe about that. Um, and we got everything shipped out. I had to let everyone go. So it was just me during all of the, uh, you know, once stuff finally did shut down, it was just me. I would come in a couple times a week and it was like pretty depressing. Cause I'm just in here in warehouse by myself, all the lights off and was shipping, you know, I come in every three days and maybe ship like 16 orders. And then that first stimulus check hit and it was like insane. I had to call, uh, you know, two people back in because I was like, I can't keep up with this by myself right now. Um, and then, you know, people started going back to work and there was no tour. So everyone had to buy everything online. So band merch was doing pretty well online. Um, and then so we started the disc section up around then too, because we didn't plan on having a distro. But we were talking to so many record labels that were complaining that their record stores weren't physically open. People couldn't go to them. So they had all these records sitting there. And we're like, well, we'll like take some records off your hands and start a distro section. And then that took off. And I mean, now the distro is literally probably 
I mean, depending on the day, it's 30 to 50% of our sales every single day at this point. So like, I kind of have to keep on top of that. But because of COVID, there's like, you know, record pressing plants are backed up. So if we try to get something from like a label, like 20 bucks spin or, um, uh, you know, triple D records or whatever, any, any label like that or profound lore, you know, that we know it's going to go on the first thing. And those like aren't labels that are big enough to just press thousands and thousands of copies of their record and be sitting on that much uh, inventory. We know that if we, whatever we get the first go around is going to be like it. So it's like, if I get a dozen copies, a dozen copies are done, you know, we're not getting it for another year until they're able to get it repressed on vinyl. So it's a, it's like a big guessing game right now, having to figure out which record is going to do well and buy enough copies of it. What is the uh, what is the wait right now for for vinyl? It's you know? like eight months and probably going to be longer. <laughs> it's pretty fucking bad. crazy. Can you can you yeah. explain what the wait is about? Can you explain why it's so bad now? Um, well, the plants like vinyl was doing so well that the plants are just jammed up with everything, and then they shut down for a while. You know, so when they come back, they're already at like a backlog of like, uh, well, now we're two months behind because we shut down for two months and we got all this shit we got to catch up on. And then I think a lot of it is just like everyone started a record, like, like everyone started their own business during the pandemic. So there's all these like bands putting out their own record, all these new people entering uh, the market where before, you know, they knew that they have X amount of volume, but now it's like, you know, like underground death metal, like really took off in like a, kind of the way that like hardcore would. So now there's all these bands pressing their own cassettes, pressing their own vinyl. So that's taken up all of the space in there. And then there's like not enough raw material. Like right now cassettes are about to be backed up because there's not enough cassette shells to uh, to go for all the cassettes that are going out because people are doing it. So people are just having to do their shit on whatever color cassette shell they can get. Um, you know, it's just the delays that are in everything for shirts right now. Um, you know, blank shirts are starting to become a nightmare to get. Like there's getting notifications from our suppliers that blank shirt levels aren't going to be back to normal until 2023. So we have to just print on anything. Just, you know, there's like people who are like, oh, I hate Fruit of the Loom shirts. And it's like, well, you better start liking Fruit of the Loom shirts because <laughs> for at least six months, that's going to be all we can get. Because <laughs> right now there's like no Gildan stock. It's, 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 I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say weird because it, it all makes sense, but it is still kind of, it's, it's interesting to see how much, how many other industries and then like how many, how certain aspects of the music industry have, have really been hit hard, especially like touring industry, but like on the whole, would you say that, that COVID and I'm not asking you to like be like thanking COVID or anything like yeah. that, but has this been like a boon for the industry for like your end, aspect of it for your end of it? Um, so it's a boom for the online portion, but you got to figure that we should have had touring merchandise out there that, you know, like when we start and we, not that we have like too many years of it, you know, cause we're on our like second year of doing accounting, but we go into it knowing like X percent of our sale of our like net income is going to be from tour merch and X is going to be from online sales. And so all that tour merch was decimated. And even though online sales are booming, it's not nearly enough to make up for what do you lose? And merch uh, production. And the other thing is it costs way more money to produce, uh, you know, to do what we're doing for online sales. Like I got to have, I mean, there's not a ton of us, there's four of us here, but I got to pay three dudes salaries to make sure that we're pumping out this level of online 
Um, versus if it was just tour merch, it could be me and one other dude. And we would net like way more money, just two of us just sitting here doing tour merch and not even touching uh, online sales. Because, you know, a band's going out, you figure that they're going on tour for 30 days. And depending on the band, you know, maybe they're going to sell 25 shirts if they're a smaller level band. And if they're a higher level band, they're selling like 500, 600, seven shirts a show. And, you know, even though you're making like a fraction, like let's say you're making a quarter a shirt, but if you're making a quarter shirt on 700 shirts every single night for, uh, you know, six weeks on one band, it's a good amount of money versus, you know, I think people probably assume that we make way more distro stuff, but like if we sell a CD, we're lucky if we make like a dollar on it. <laughs> and it's not like we're selling 700 CDs a day. Like, you know, well, we probably, I mean, regardless yeah. of, of what, what you are selling at this point, like having sort of watched night shift go from, you know, this, this brand new thing that was launched and now two years into it, you know, you've got a shitload of shirts, a shitload of different kinds of merch from a ton of different bands. Um, and then the distro over the last year has gotten to be filled with all kinds of cool vinyl, all kinds of CDs. Um, the CDs are my sort of the, the, the thing that I am most excited about, uh, cause the CDs are coming back. God damn it. But I do. Um, there's, we got a, an industry notice from our distributors saying that 2022, they expect CD sales and vinyl sales to be even again for the first time since the vinyl boom. Damn. The year of the CD. The CD man is king once more. Yeah. Welcome back. To 2022, 20 you're coming back. You're going to be there. You're going to be the man. Um, dude, this has been a really awesome conversation. And, and Night Shift is one of, I you know, you guys have got some of the best variety. Uh, obviously, you're incredibly professional. Um, it's it's a it's a great company to do business with if you're a fan of the bands that you guys represent. Um, and so, you know, if you're listening right now, definitely go check out Night Shift Shit. Definitely fuck with them. Uh, do some pre-orders, buy some merch. Let them make a dollar CD off of whatever it is that you purchase. Um, don't be scared to order an XL and learn to love Fruit of the Loom. Uh, so... As we as we approach the end of the show, man, this is going to be an interesting question because I really don't know that much about what what you're a fan of musically. But we uh, we always ask the same question of everybody who comes on this show at the end, and it's a very very big deal, man. This is a serious question. We take it very seriously. Right. And unfortunately, I have this bad habit of fucking trampling Zach because I can't shut the fuck up, and because I'm way too enthusiastic about a lot of shit that people probably don't care that much about. Uh, but Zach, man, please come in and, and, and hit Kareem with the big one. Well, thank you guys. Nice talking to you, Kareem. You're the man. I would love to ask you though, what is your favorite Black Sabbath record? Oh, geez. Uh, which is the one that's got iced tea on it? Is that, uh, forbidden? yeah, forbidden. <laughs> that's the first one that I actually bought with my own money. <laughs> oh shit. What'd you no, think? You put uh, it in and think, what the fuck is this shit? Uh, you know, when you used to buy a CD and have to pretend that you liked it because you had just spent your 12 bucks on it, <laughs> I had to do a lot of like real convincing myself that it didn't suck, but no, it's the first one. I mean, hell yeah, that, that's the, the first, one that I, the first, first Black Sabbath, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's like the one that I consistently go back to for everything. I also, I'm, uh, I mean, not that like Black Sabbath is, uh, bad musically or at any point became like progressive geniuses but i i don't play any instruments i'm like a musical dummy so anything that's like at a level that i can even slightly comprehend i'm just like 
oh cool like once a band starts doing all the like wild riffing and shit i'm just like yeah i don't know man i don't i don't get what's happening i don't get what's <laughs> happening like if it's dream theater or whatever even like later sabbath i'm like i i don't get it man i'm just kind of kind of dumb i like fast hardcore and that's like you know their primitive record for me so it's it uh it works with my lizard brain i mean it's a you know it's a slow it's a doomy record but at the same time like there's still all those cool influences that you can see coming in you've got the blues stuff coming in and a little bit of jazz in places a little bit of like folk in places so it's a it's a it's a broad broad spectrum record but at the same time yes it's definitely super listenable yeah it's it's not what they would be later on you know it's not i don't think if only that record had come out no one would have been like oh my god ayomi is a guitar god they'd have been like oh he's cool put out a cool record (laughs) Well, dude, thank you again. I know that you've got to uh, to get back to it. We appreciate you taking the time to talk to us, and uh, best of luck with everything, man. We hope to have you on again sometime. Awesome. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thanks for having me on. This one. All right. Peace out, dude. We'll talk soon. All right. Talk to you later. Peace. What a good dude. Really good dude. What an illuminating conversation. Like, uh, this is this is shit that I... I guess you probably get a big, a lot more of what he was talking about than I do, huh? Being that you actually are, you're a business owner too. Probably. That's why I was just like really listening to all he was, all he was saying, man. He could, he covered a lot. It was a, uh, it was cool to hear. It's inspirational, man. That his uh, company is huge. So yeah. You, are you having to deal with any of that bullshit with like getting shirts made or whatever? Or is it different? Cause your shirt, death comes lifting shirts are like specifically the athletic fit. Right. So is that, are, are there maybe like, is there less of a shortage with that or are you getting hit in the same feels as Kareem right now? As far as I know, it's about the same, man. Yeah. It's a, it's the turnarounds a lot longer. Got to wait a lot more for certain sizes and, and things like that. Um, I don't make three X's anyway, because I force motherfuckers to stay in shape. So I don't, I don't I'm gonna be that. I'm gonna be your first three X, man. And it's gonna be all fucking muscle. I'm gonna yeah. start uh, I'm gonna hit that shit really hard. I'm gonna fucking bust out of these larges and and move straight up into the three X. All right, man. Well, that's your homework. Let's, let's that's my homework. Yeah, I'll see. I'll, next time we see each other, which is yeah. tomorrow, uh, you will see noticeable growth. I love it, man. I love you. Thank you. I love you, brother. Thanks for the chat. We will talk again soon. Yes, sir. See you tomorrow. Yes, sir. Have a good one. You too, buddy.